funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, legislators make a mad dash to pass more than 150 bills during the final day of the lame duck session. Well, I think we have 100 bills on, so right. it's not Yogi Berra. It's not over until it's over. Also at the State House, order in the court, a rush to confirm nearly a dozen judges as the state continues to deal with a backlog of cases. As everyone here knows, we have a rigorous vetting process here for judges and for a very good reason. Plus, no relief in sight. Victims of Tropical Storm Ida are still awaiting foreclosure protection after a relief bill was stalled by the governor. Um, obviously, the storm happened more than two years ago, um, so it seems like we're on a hamster wheel trying to get this done. And weathering the storm. Snow pummels parts of New Jersey this past weekend. As residents dig out, the state is bracing for a new storm and the risk of flash flooding. And we could really be faced with some damaging winds as we go Tuesday into Wednesday. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. Well, Congress has a deal to fund the government and potentially avert a shutdown, but not a lot of time to pass it. Congressional leaders on Sunday announced a fiscal year 2024 agreement, a roughly $1.6 trillion spending plan that looks a lot like the bipartisan deal struck last year between President Biden and former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. It keeps intact money for the military and key social safety net programs, despite GOP demands to cut the budget. But lawmakers have a lot of work ahead to get the bill over the finish line, less than two weeks to allocate the money, write the bills, and pass them. Meanwhile, in Trenton, state legislators are also up against the clock. Today is the final day of the lame duck session, with more than 150 bills up for votes and measures carrying significant consequences that might not make it before the term expires. Senior political correspondent David Cruz reports from the State House. The 220th session of the New Jersey State Legislature ends with more of a whimper than a bang. The Senate Judiciary Committee did approve a slew of new judges, but that was the only committee work before this afternoon's final voting session. Affordable housing, a heavy lift, too heavy for this session says the Senate's sponsor. I'm excited, actually, because we're taking the time to be thoughtful about affordable housing. Um, this will be transformational. It is something of such consequence that when we all got co collectively around the table to really work through the issues, we realized we'd be doing a disservice by trying to advance it in an expeditious manner. Uh, so I'm excited about the prospects, and it's literally going to be the first thing I'm going to do in the new session. The details on today's bills have already been hammered out in the Democratic caucus. So today's final voting session is not expected to include any last-minute surprises, although, technically speaking, a bill could find its way to the floor without a committee hearing, but that's extremely rare and unlikely to happen without significant support from the minority party. Still, says one prominent Republican lawmaker, 
you never know. Well, I think we have 100 bills on, so right. <laughs> it's not Yogi Berra. It's not over until it's over. Things move pretty fast. Yeah. You know if it's a controversial bill, it was probably introduced last week, and we'll see it today. That's, um, you know, some, some of these bills are Dracula bills. You know, they don't see the light of day for years. And then the other ones pop up out of nowhere. Go, whew, you know, like Houdini. There are actually well over 100 bills on the agenda today, covering everything from subsidies for the horse racing industry, coverage for fertility treatments, schools, construction, a bill to allow certain retired public officials to still hold public jobs while collecting public pensions, and pay increases for governors, cabinet members, and lawmakers. But it's really not about the legislators. It's really about the cabinet officials. We've really struggled to get really influential and important cabinet members and officials, and that's a long time coming because uh, you know, many of these folks are opting to go into the private sector. Uh, and, and to think about a, a, a cabinet official who is making $175,000 and running a department like the Department of Transportation with over 10,000 employees uh, and, and a $3 billion budget. So a uh, long time coming on the cabinet. But over 100 bills on the final day of the session? Critics complain that this leads to bills getting pushed through the legislature without enough public scrutiny. It's something lawmakers hear all the time. But is that something that might change in the 221st session? It's important for us to make sure that as we end this session that we're doing that with a great deal of pause, consideration, and, and doing the right thing at the right time. So yes, would I have probably liked to see some of the, of, uh, the legislative initiatives that we took or did not really get to this, the finish line? you know, be uh, today considered, um, no question about it. So this session's in the books. The governor gives his annual State of the State speech tomorrow, and then the work of the new session begins. And it comes with a warning. I think the budget, budget process is going to be a little tight next year. You know, uh, I know, I know everybody is, we're, we're confident about the, the, the revenues, uh, we're confident that post-inflation increases, you know, post-interest rate increases, we should be okay. Uh, there's a transportation trust fund renewal. Uh, there's some, some items that need to be done. There's the affordable housing component that the speaker is important to the speaker. Um, TTF renewal. And of course, we, February, we start budget all over again. I'll see you there. Whether that's a promise or a threat, we'll find out starting tomorrow. In Trenton, I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. As David mentioned, judicial nominees were top of the agenda today at the State House, part of an effort to make a dent in the long list of judicial vacancies the state's been experiencing since the pandemic. But as Ted Goldberg reports, today's progress doesn't put an end to all the disruptions caused by a lack of judges on the bench. Being a judge would be the pinnacle of my legal career. I'm humbled to be here. Just, just to be here is humbling. As the legislative session winds down to a close, the Senate Judiciary Committee approved nine new Superior Court judges and one renomination. Each person spoke before their approval and explained what it would mean to them to serve on New Jersey's Superior Court. I attended Seton Hall Law School at night while working full-time as a New Jersey State Probation Officer and a New Jersey State Parole Officer. I truly love being a Superior Court judge and I would be deeply honored and privileged uh, to have this opportunity to continue my judicial service uh, to the people of New Jersey and to the people of Mercer County.
I'm excited about the challenges and the chance to learn so many new things, as well as transitioning from an advocate to a neutral. Although I undoubtedly have much to learn, I would approach this important position with the core values that I have always practiced. Hard work, energy, open-mindedness. The Superior Court is still pretty short-handed, with 47 vacancies. As a result, civil and matrimonial trials, including in divorce cases, are on hold in four counties. We've made progress and there's still work to do. And that's what we're going to get to and immediately in the next session, continuing to bring through vetted individuals to ensure that our judiciary begets the full complement of judges and needs. Senator Troy Singleton, like other members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, have defended New Jersey's arduous process of vetting judges and approving them, rather than having them be elected. As everyone here knows, we have a rigorous vetting process here for judges and for a very good reason. Having spoken with so many accomplished attorneys and leaders along the way, including the governor's office, the governor's judicial advisory panel, the county and state JPACs, and several senators, all of whom I thank for their critical role here, I assured them I would do right by our state. That takes time, frankly, and I think that's the largest measure of it. We want to make sure that we've done our due diligence to ensure that the people who are going to be serving on the bench represent the best of New Jersey. These candidates sailed through confirmation without much pushback. The hard work being done in the months leading up to today. These are the types of candidates that we want to see becoming members of the Superior Court. Having a fully functioning judiciary is critical to make sure that people get the justice that they're seeking as well as the justice they deserve. Um, so I'm excited about the prospects of what we've done today, over, frankly, over the course of the last month. Getting a fully functioning judiciary set up is just one of the priorities for the state's new batch of legislators as they meet for the first time later this week. In Trenton, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. And make sure you join us right here tomorrow for live coverage of the governor's 2024 State of the State Address. We'll carry the speech plus the Republican response and analysis from our reporters and panel with guests both on air and streaming online. Governor Murphy is asking 20 charter bus companies for a heads up before dropping off New York City-bound migrants from border states to transit stations in New Jersey. In a letter today, the governor asked the bus companies for 32 hours advance notice and requested more information about those on board, like the number of single adults, families, children, and chaperones, along with where and when they'll be arriving. All to ensure, he says, the health and safety of passengers once they arrive in the state. Murphy today said since December 31st, dozens of charter buses have transported more than 1,800 asylum seekers here, with almost all of them continuing on to New York City. Now, the buses have been stopping in New Jersey to sidestep an executive order by New York City Mayor Eric Adams that limits bus drop-offs of migrants. Several entrances to New York City are reopened tonight after traffic chaos this morning. That's when pro-Palestinian demonstrators shut down three of Manhattan's critical entry points during the morning rush. The Holland Tunnel, the Brooklyn Bridge, Williamsburg Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge were all blocked by protesters, some creating a human chain link. According to the NYPD, the demonstration was mostly peaceful but caused major disruptions for drivers. About 120 protesters were taken into custody. It appears several organizations coordinated the event, including members of the Palestinian Youth Movement, Democratic Socialists of America, Jewish Voice for Peace, and others. They're demanding an immediate ceasefire to the war in Gaza and an end to U.S. aid to Israel. The Israel-Hamas war is now in its third 
month. The Israeli military says it completed the dismantling of the Hamas command structure in northern Gaza this weekend. Data from the Palestinian Health Ministry shows about one out of every 100 Palestinians in Gaza has been killed since the war started October 7th. The United Nations saying that number is over 22,000, emphasizing the dire humanitarian situation there. Hundreds of mourners gathered this weekend in Newark for the funeral of Imam Hassan Sharif, who was fatally shot last Wednesday outside his mosque after finishing morning prayer. Police say they found Sharif lying just several feet away from the entrance of the mosque with multiple gunshot wounds to his abdomen and left arm. His death sent shockwaves through the community. The crowds were so large this weekend, people packed both the mosque and parking lot listening to the prayers aired over speakers. Many who showed up to say their final goodbyes were from different faiths. Muslim leaders who spoke at the service called the 52-year-old husband, father, and spiritual leader a shining example for the youth in Newark. Some pointed to the rise in anti-Muslim rhetoric that spiked since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Others shared frustration that police have yet to name a suspect or motive in Sharif's death, but said it doesn't appear to be motivated by bias or domestic terrorism. Depending on where you live in the state, this weekend storm was either a hit or a miss. As predicted, the northwestern section of New Jersey got the highest snow totals. The National Weather Service says several counties recorded between 6 to 12 inches of snow, but areas like Wantage, where elevation is the highest, got pummeled with more than a foot, according to early estimates. While the rest of the state, everyone in central and south Jersey, saw mostly rain and sleet, Forecasters say more than an inch of rain fell toward the tail end of the storm. And now they're shifting focus to another major weather event that'll start Tuesday, that's tomorrow, and could bring anywhere from two to four inches of rain total. The National Weather Service put the entire state under a flood watch while it assesses potential for high winds, soaking rains and coastal flooding with major river flooding expected in North Jersey along with the entire Delaware Bay Shore and Upper Delaware River Basin. State climatologist Dave Robinson says residents should be prepared. I'm really concerned about this. Um, we're saturated. We are just soaked with the rains of the week before the major storm in December. Then we had that storm. Then we had a storm during the holiday week. Then we have the, the, this past weekend's event, and now this major one. Some homeowners who were hard hit from the December storm will now be eligible for state funding to help with their recovery. The Murphy administration set aside $10 million dedicated to elevating and or buying out properties in the Passaic River Basin, which includes parts of Essex, Passaic and Morris counties. Plenty others know the devastating consequences of flooding in this state. Two years after Tropical Storm Ida, many homeowners say their homes remain unlivable and their worlds have been upended. A bill to help with mortgage forbearance just made it through the legislature, but as senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports, it doesn't appear the governor is ready to sign it. It's just killing us. It's just awful. <laughs> Stephanie Hosgood says Ida flooded her family's home in Manville more than two years ago, but it feels like she's still underwater, except now she's drowning in debt, making mortgage payments on a house Ida destroyed. Hosgood and thousands of other Ida victims hope New Jersey lawmakers soon pass a bill that would give them temporary forbearance on mortgage payments and foreclosures. 
we can no longer live in our house. We couldn't afford to get it fixed at that time. And it just deteriorated over the years. So having the forbearance for something, maybe to at least help us so that way we can get out of the mounds and mounds of debt that we're already in due to this. I don't have much more time. Like, how much longer can I go on like this? Leanna Jones did move back into her Milford home after Ida's floodwater subsided. She took out a loan and maxed out her credit to fix it, but it still needs work. She recently lost her job. She also fears foreclosure. You know, I went into credit, credit card debt that I didn't have to go into if I had been able to have this mortgage forbearance. Or, and still, if I could get it, it would make a huge difference for me financially. We're just asking to give these families just some space. Jody Stewart's with the New Jersey Organizing Project. Even though HUD approved Jersey's spending plan for $228 million in flood disaster assistance, only a fraction of that aid's been dispersed, she notes. Meanwhile, the state DEPs canceled federal grants to elevate homes in high-risk flood areas like Manville's Lost Valley and started offering Blue Acres buyouts instead. Stewart says Ida victims feel betrayed and hopeless. No one has received any funding. So they're doing it out of pocket or taking loans or using credit cards. That mortgage payment relief will get them ahead. Stewart says the bill, S-4117, simply offers to pause mortgage payments for a year, not delete them. It would also pause foreclosures for Ida victims who meet the financial requirements. After watching President Biden and the governor promise assistance in September 2021, Ida victims say relief's long overdue. We needed it like yesterday, though. That's the problem. <laughs> the government is taking their sweet time. Um, Getting something passed, it should be a no-brainer. Um, obviously, the storm happened more than two years ago, um, so it seems like we're on a hamster wheel trying to get this done. Sponsor Senator Troy Singleton's expressed some frustration. He says the bill cleared committee, but the governor's office warned Murphy would not sign it due to unspecified legal problems with the bill's language. We're waiting for, a, frankly, uh, a written uh, discussion from the governor's office that really highlights where they feel like we've run afoul of the constitutionality and legality uh, of, of what we've written. Singleton says he hopes the measure can be tweaked, passed, and signed when the legislature reconvenes later this month. The governor's office did not offer comment. I honestly feel the governor's office is not paying enough attention that these are human beings, these are families. It's just numbers on paper. They're not getting the, the, the voices heard because it's a different kind of a storm. You know, it's behind closed doors. It's not the beachfront. It's not the boardwalk. Hosgood's family is still living with her dad. You know, I've, had, I've even had people say, well, you know, I, that was over a year ago. You know, you should be over that. Like, how do you get over something that destroys your life? Meanwhile, both she and Jones have applied for the state DEP to buy out their homes. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News.
The owner of a New Jersey technology company is under fire for allegedly duping public safety and law enforcement agencies across the state into spending at least $35 million, including $15 million in federal COVID-19 relief money on banned Chinese surveillance equipment. According to a complaint unveiled last week, first reported by the independent tech website 404 Media, the company's owner repeatedly lied to the state agencies in order to get their money. Journalist Jason Kebler dug into the case for 404 Media and he joins me with the latest. Jason, welcome to the show and great reporting here. I guess my first question is, how was it that these uh, towns were duped, so to speak, into purchasing this blacklisted equipment? Yeah, so there is a company that's based in New Jersey called Packetalk which has had previous contracts with East Orange, West Orange, Passaic, and a few other towns in New Jersey. And it had these existing relationships with these New Jersey towns. And during the pandemic, there was all this new funding for what's known as ALPRs, which are automated license plate reader cameras, as well as infrared cameras to supposedly detect COVID cases. Um, and so, Basically, the CEO of this company, Packetalk, went to their existing relationships and said, hey, you can use this COVID funding to buy new technology. And essentially, uh, you know, there wasn't enough um, research being done to, to prove that this was actually banned Chinese technology that was being sold to them. Yeah, and in fact, this company, Packetalk, had been listed as an official vendor with the state of New Jersey. So how far was this able to get before uh, complaints were filed and people started noticing that this was equipment that, A, shouldn't be purchased with federal dollars, but is also banned from the U.S. and, of course, New Jersey? Yeah, well, something really interesting is that the uh, cameras were actually rebranded. So instead of saying Dawa, which is the banned Chinese company, um, you know, the CEO of this company knew that they were banned. And so he had the company remove their logos and change the color of the cameras. And so it wasn't for a few months that, uh, you know, eventually there was an FBI investigation into Packetalk. And uh, the FBI investigation had been going on for over a year. Uh, and during that time, New Jersey put Packetalk on its official uh, approved vendors list. So seemingly not great communication between the FBI and uh, the state of New Jersey, but essentially the FBI uncovered this after about a year of investigation. What did officials, Jason, from the state, from these localities say to you uh, about their justification for using COVID relief money to buy this equipment in the first place? Yeah, so I basically found that these documents, these charging documents in the um, on PACER, which is the federal court uh, record system. And I went to, you know, every city that I could find that had done a deal with Packetalk. And I said, you know, did you know this was happening? How many Packetalk cameras do you have? Are any of the cameras, uh, you know, Chinese cameras that are banned? And none of the uh, towns were ready to provide comment. It seemed like they were learning about it in real time. So they were initially banned because Dawa was uh, found to be using their surveillance cameras in Xinjiang, in China, uh, in, in Uyghur prison camps, essentially. And so they were banned for human rights reasons. Uh, but then later, about a year later in 2021, uh, the FCC banned these cameras 
or import into the U.S. in general because they may be phoning back to China. Um, there's been a lot of Chinese surveillance tech companies that have been banned by the federal government. We don't know specifically how and why and where and which ones are sending information back to China, but that is sort of the, the reasoning why they were banned. Jason Kebler is a journalist with the independent tech website 404 Media. Jason, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. In our Spotlight on Business report tonight, radio and podcast giant Odyssey has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The Philadelphia-based company owns hundreds of radio stations and is one of the largest radio broadcasters in the U.S., but has been struggling with ad sales over the last four years, according to a statement from Odyssey's CEO. The company says the bankruptcy plan will help reduce its debt by 80 percent from around $1.9 billion to roughly $350 million. A big chunk of that debt came after merging with CBS Radio in 2017. The filing isn't expected to impact employees, which include folks over at WFAN Sports Radio and 1010 Wins. The plan is slated for a February court hearing, and the CEO says he expects to operate normally through the process. Turning now to Wall Street, markets are trying to recover from a tough week. Stocks were mixed with the Dow pulling lower. Here's today's closing trading numbers. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. NJM Insurance Group has been serving New Jersey businesses for over a century. As part of the Garden State, we help companies keep their vehicles on the road, employees on the job, and projects on track. Working to protect employees from illness and injury, to keep goods and services moving across the state. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our Telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health medical group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.